In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Wow, look at you all here. Good morning. Beautiful to see you. Well, Jeremiah had a problem. And it wasn't that he was a bulldog. Bull, bullfrog, excuse me. You know, bullfrog joke. Okay, never mind. <clears throat> Jeremiah had a problem, and the problem was not a new problem in his day. 2,600 years ago. In fact, it was the oldest problem, the original problem of his religion, and it had been bothering him and his people since the beginning of time. It's the same problem that's bothering churches to this day, which is this. You got a perfectly good, godly prophet who everybody admires, and he stands up on the Sabbath, and unfortunately, it's almost always a he, and he preaches a sermon, and speaking in the name of God, he condemns something as sinful. In Jeremiah's case, the sinful thing was the corruption of his religion by foreign gods. And everyone nods their heads and they say, yes, Lord, thank you, Lord, this is the word of God. And they write down the prophet's words as if they came straight down from heaven. And then the next day, everyone goes back to doing whatever they were doing. The problem in Jeremiah's mind was that people continue to fail to get with the program. Preachers and prophets and bishops and popes have been flailing their arms and fulminating against every imaginable variety of sin for what, 5,000 years, 10,000 years? And yet the law continues to get broken. The preachers, of course, blame it on the people. They say there's a hardness in their hearts. Well, sometimes that's true. Slavery, racism, sexism, the oppression of the poor, exploitation of the earth. Yes, there is a hardness in our hearts around those things. But sometimes it's just that the church has chosen the wrong sin to fulminate over. Fish on Fridays, people. Dancing, movies, gay people. How much fulminating has, was done over eating meat on Fridays? For hundreds of years, you couldn't eat meat on Fridays except fish. And then one day the church wakes up and reconsiders and what? It's no longer a sin? What kind of church does that? Well, maybe it's a church that started to get its priorities straight a little bit, finally. Just last month, one of the leading evangelical ministries in Atlanta announced that their star preacher, Ravi Zacharias, had had a habit of violating the very laws that he himself had strenuously laid down every Sunday. It turned out that he owned, guess what, a few massage parlors. And it turned out that he had been, let's just say, doing some unmentionable things and asking things of his massage therapists 
that they were not comfortable doing. And these were massage therapists who worked for him. This kind of thing has become so common in evangelical circles that it's almost laughable, except for the very terrible damage that is done by men, and it's almost always by men, who get locked into these patterns of behavior that they themselves detest. We, knew, we witnessed one of those terrible moments of damage in Atlanta last Tuesday. Last Tuesday's gunman was reportedly tortured by the teachings of his church, which preached what psychologists call a purity culture. Sermon after sermon, Bible study after Bible study, youth group talk after youth group talk, this earnest young church-going man was taught that his perfectly normal biological urges made him a wretched sinner. That is a soul-crushing teaching. This young man went to a church that preached an impossible standard for human sexuality, and then declared that he was sinning against God when he was unable to maintain that impossible standard. There's a word for that. It's called spiritual abuse. That man's church took an almost obsessive interest in what it defines as sexual sin, forbidding sex before marriage, railing against gay, lesbian, queer, transgendered sexual expressions, and equating self-pleasure with adultery. Well, this just has to be said, because silence on this matter is complicity. These teachings on sex are deeply unhealthy, they're morally confusing, and they're victimizing. They set people up for repeated cycles of failure and self-loathing, and trap them into cycles of dependency on a church that offers forgiveness for sins that those sins only exist in the mind of the church. These teachings create one generation after another of traumatized, highly anxious, sexually wounded people. And don't get me started on the suppression of birth control, suppression of basic sex education, the teen pregnancies that result, the relentless nationwide assault on a woman's right to choose, all of these disastrous public policies taking hold throughout our country are expressions of a deeply flawed, uninformed, male-driven cult of sexual purity. And in the end, almost always, it's a woman's life that is damaged. I have to wonder, what if that young man in Atlanta had been counseled by his church to accept his sexual urges as normal? What if he had been told that there's nothing wrong with sex between freely consenting adults? What if he had been taught not to hate himself? Would he have been driven to that murderous level of violence? I don't think so. Years ago, our own church made a giant leap forward in the area of sexual health when we finally embraced our LGBTQ members as fully equal. 
But you know, in order to make queer sexuality acceptable to the mainstream, it had to get wrapped in the flag of domestic marriage. As long as queer folks got married, the argument went, what they did in their own, in their own bedrooms was their business. So to appease the conservatives, the church doubled down on the institution of marriage, continuing to maintain that the only proper venue for sex was within a marriage. The last time I checked, this was still the official position of the Episcopal Church. It's a position that almost none of us actually believe. There's a word for that. It's called hypocrisy. The fact is that premarital sex is in practice completely accepted by the Episcopal Church. And yet I have never in all of my 30 years as a priest heard a priest or a bishop or a council of the church say that out loud or in writing. Well, it just needs to get said. Because if we don't come out of the closet as having a healthy understanding of sexuality, people like that shooter in Atlanta will never know that there's another way to be a Christian, a healthy, body-positive understanding of Christian sexuality that affirms the dignity and beauty of every human body, including one's own. So I'm just going to come right out of here and say what needs to be said. <clears throat> Sex between monogamous consenting adults is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with young people safely exploring their sexualities before getting married. In fact, as long as it's truly consensual, informed, and protected, it's healthy and it's good. There, I said it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a young person out there who desperately needs to hear this as well. And so forgive me, but I just have to say it out loud just this once. Pleasuring yourself is perfectly fine. There it is, I said it. Well, you know, if you have an addiction to pornography, well, that's a real thing and it can be serious. And that's an entirely different conversation. If you're out of control with your sexual expression so that it's hurting you or those you love, that's a real issue and needs to be treated by a qualified therapist. But if you're going to a church that's telling you to hate your body, get out. Hating your body is an act of violence against God's creation. It's violence against yourself. And in extreme cases, as we learned last Tuesday, it's violence, violence against yourself can lead to violence against others. Jeremiah dreamed of the day when the law would no longer feel like some impossible set of rules that no one could live up to. One day he said, we will have the laws written on our hearts. On that day, preachers will be able to get out of the business of finger pointing and shaming and fulmination because we will all instinctively know good from evil and we will all naturally desire the good. 
No longer, he said, no longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. Jeremiah had no way of knowing that his idea of sin was part of the problem. The Christian churches of today know better. They've witnessed time and again their own failure to uphold the laws they teach. They should know by now that when human sexuality is demonized and repressed, we just create the very demons we seek to defeat. In the process, the damage done is beyond calculation. These are the names of the eight people who died on Tuesday. Seven of them were women, six of them Asians. Let's just take a moment to honor their memories. Soon C. Park, Hyun J. Grant, Sun Cho Kim, Yong A. Yu, Zhao Ji Tan, Dao Yu Feng, Delena Ashley Yaun, and Paul Andre Michaels. May God forgive us for what happened to them. It is past time for progressive churches like ours to take a stand against this vile teaching of the conservative churches. It's time for the Episcopal Church to repent and turn to the Lord. It's time for a sex-positive church. Amen.